You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. And you thought alliances only existed on bad MTV reality shows. No! <laughs> Nay! That is now part of the reality of college football as the sport takes another twist and turn in the best reality saga known to man. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And uh, we're going to get straight to some straight talk uh, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, Sarah. And that comes in the form of an alliance, maybe an alliance at this point, as the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 have decided that they are going to bring their sandboxes together. They're going to build a set of, of, you know, like monkey bars, put them all in the middle, and they're going to let everybody play together in that box now. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to have scheduling alliances, but they're going to have something even more powerful, something you thought only existed on Big Brother. They're going to make a voting alliance, and I'm in for all of the drama that it creates because I feel like you've got three of the power five saying we don't care about the big 12 and we're going to take on the SEC and I love the drama. Well, Fitz, I think you nailed it. A lot of people are going to focus on the scheduling and the expanded playoffs because it's interesting and sexy to talk about the games themselves and who can match up with who and what teams would you like to see play each other? Will they go down to eight conference games and add matchups and you know all that other stuff? But where the work is really being done here is behind the scenes when it comes to the voting rights, when it comes to how much power they could put together to try to push back on things that might benefit the SEC disproportionately or just change the face of college football in ways that they don't want. Some of it's a little bit about media rights. SEC, ESPN, college football playoff, there's a lot of dominance in this sport right now. And with the NCAA proving over and over again that they are weak in the face of powerful people like Greg Sankey, and are going to step back and let conferences do what they will. They proved that in the direst of times last year during COVID. They essentially sat on their hands and said, oh, we don't want to make any decisions. Well, guess what? Greg Sankey and the SEC has been really good about making decisions that benefit them and continue to grow their power. This was a necessity. And whether or not you think that they can actually get together and do a lot is certainly a topic worth discussing. Because I think a lot of people are saying, cool, have your meetings, have your conversations. You're kind of powerless in the face of a better conference with better teams that has better TV deals. But, you know, to me, it does feel like this was an inevitability after what happened with, you know, Oklahoma and Texas and the Big 12. They needed to do this because they looked across and they looked at the future and they said, we're screwed. Yeah, that is such a huge part of it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. When you think about what everybody has seen, just two schools leaving the Big 12 – has really, it's chopped the head off of the the entire power that the conference has. At this point, I'd make the argument that uh, the the Big 12 is closer to being a group of five conference than it is a power five conference, no matter who they can add at this point, because they can't add enough to give them the equity that they're losing in brand recognition that comes with Texas and Oklahoma. So, you know, frankly, I think every other conference can look around and say, well, we got to make sure we don't get Big 12. So how do we make sure that we protect ourselves a little bit But there is a moment for me, and I'm going to go back to my 80s wrestling roots that I quote too often. But, you know, if you were a kid at my age and grew up watching 80s wrestling, one of the things about it is you knew some alliances 
were sort of a house of cards. Like, you knew that those two wrestlers were getting along, but just until WrestleMania, <laughs> when inevitably one Very would stab the other in the back. Paradise. Yeah, okay, yeah. I see? get what you're okay. saying. You're, I'm finding something I can connect with here. It ain't wrestling, but it's Bachelor Paradise. I mean, you knew Macho Man and Hulk weren't bound to be a tag team forever. It was only going to last until Miss Elizabeth tore them apart at the seams. This is the drama I'm waiting for, and I think that there's a little wiggle room in all of that because it feels pretty pro wrestling when you listen to ACC Commission Jim Phillips. This is what the commissioner had to say about their agreement and why there isn't a signed document. It's about trust. It's about we've looked each other in the eye. We've made an agreement. We have great confidence and faith. Our board chairs have looked each other in the eye and have committed to the same level of support and connection to one another. Our athletics directors have done that. And so if that's what it takes to get something considerable done, then, you know, we've, we've lost our way. Of course, binding contracts uh, serve a purpose. But at this juncture, that to us wasn't a critical element of it. And um, we'll certainly see where all this goes. But, but I know what we discussed. We all know what was the, we discussed. And we're very confident about executing on all that's been described today. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. I mean, Sarah, uh, we're talking about college football here, and we're going to use trust. The whole reason we're here is because Texas and Oklahoma, two arch rivals, worked together behind the backs of their entire conference to align with the SEC. And everybody turned around and said, oh, God, we don't want that to happen to us. But now we're going to say, hey, guys, we don't need anything in writing. We have trust. I mean, my mind's blown by that whole concept. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think you should lend a very good friend more than, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars without a contract. A very <laughs> good friend. No, because the problem is something goes wrong and it, all hell breaks loose, right? You're talking about college football. Also, the exact quote, I believe, was if that's and referring to signed contracts, which I think you're in trouble if at any point you say, of course, binding contracts have a place. But not in a multi-billion dollar business, huh? Um, this was the quote. If that's what it takes to get something considerable done, then we've lost our way. What part of this year and last year and the year before and the last, I don't know, decade has led you to believe anything other than we very clearly lost our way. We as human beings are not to be trusted, especially not college football people. Like, this blows my mind. It's going to be a joke now because it's absurd and ridiculous to imagine just believing that this alliance can be gentlemen's handshakes and deep looks into the eye. It's but eventually looked each other in the eye. Eventually it's going to be, holy cow, how were they simple minded enough to believe that that was the right way to go? Understanding that there might be differing ideas of what you want and how to get there coming down the pike that they haven't planned for. And all. All those disparate parts are going to have to decide to walk in unison, even if it benefits one more than the other, and even to detriment of one. Nah, this is a, a that, that no. I, and I'm I'm blown away to think that a, a a power five commissioner, like the very people that have tried to limit athletes' ability to move, and, and it was such a fight over the transfer portal. They've tried to put contracts in place to prevent players from just doing what's best for them. Now turns around and says, "Hey, we don't need contracts here. I mean, a gentleman's agreement will do plenty." Here. And, but this gentleman's agreement, remember, does not include the Big Twelve. And Andrea Adelson, he has been college sports reporter, was on Shanae and Golick Jr. earlier and gave us a little bit of the clear explanation here of why that's the case 
I asked Jim Phillips that in a separate uh, conversation that he, George Klyovkov, and Kevin Warren had with uh, our ESPN reporting team that included uh, Heather Dinich and, and David Hale. And basically, Jim Phillips said, well, you know, at the time we started to have these discussions, uh, the Big 12 was unstable. And again, it sounds like I'm a broken record here, but that stability word is something that they must have said at least 20 times each. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I the example that I used in Highly Questionable today was that the Big 12 were like when a dog gets really old and it's just going to live its final years up on a farm upstate. Uh, that's kind of what we're doing here. They looked at it. It doesn't have any uh, value, I guess I should say. I don't want to use that analogy for an old dog. But, uh, yeah, it's an, it's an ugly situation for the Big 12. And to me, we, we also talked about how the Power Five is, is you know, so disproportionately uh, leaning towards the SEC's power. I call it a box in one. The SEC is its own thing. And then you've got four others. And now with the Big 12 out, it's more like three. Yeah, I, I keep thinking about what it would be like if I went to a party with Sarah Spain and some of her close friends. Like, they're all getting right in on the list, right? That's your power. And then I'm in the back. I'm like, no, I'm with everybody. You know, you're just, hey, guys, don't forget me back here. That, that is exactly where the Big 12 is. They're in the back of the line saying, no, really, I'm cool. I got cool friends. That's the only shot they have. And if they're not part of this alliance, they are going to just be left out to die. That's the future. You got to pull the Katie Nolan and just say you're Rose Lavelle. Oh, when in is- doubt, say you're Rose Lavelle <laughs> at an ESPYs party with a bunch of U.S. women's national team players i'm not Deep mad cut. at that go look it up i'm not mad at that be a part of spain and fitz nation on the dr pepper twitter feed espn nation presented by dr pepper college football is back so are the fans return to glory with fansville by dr pepper the one fans deserve all right a lot to get to in the college football landscape and we're going to continue to do that but we got to talk about big ugly so we'll talk to one of our favorite big ugly people next spain and fitz <laughs> on espn radio here spain jason fitz you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast so often when we're watching preseason games as fans what we really want to do is get the insight on what's going to make our team great the difficult part of that is one of the most important position groups to analyze is offensive line and it's the one most of us are the least qualified to have any knowledge about. We're going to help that right now. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over 750 bucks on average. Call or click today. Find out if we could save you hundreds on your car insurance. One guy that can save you the nightmare of trying to pretend to you know what you're talking about when you don't. <laughs> when it comes to the offensive line is our favorite big ugly. Mike Golick Jr., you just heard him on Chanae and Golick Jr., and he joins us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Mike, we had to we had to call for your help here because we want to do the smartest segment that's been done all day on ESPN Radio because we're going to talk about offensive linemen. You're the perfect person to do it. Here's the point blank easy question. Uh, hard question to answer. Easy question to ask. Why is it so hard for any of us to, uh, to analyze offensive lines? I mean, in a very basic sense, I think it's just the camera angle on TV is kind of hard to see that stuff. Like, you got to think I I pretty much exclusively watch the line of scrimmage. Like that's where my eyes are trained just from years of watching game film with my own self as interest in mind. And there are things that it takes me even a little while to see on there because the TV copy, you don't really get the angle you want to see in all of this. And so I I think between that and it just being quite frankly, a spot on football where we also have the camera, watch the ball, it tracks all these things. So, 
there are all sorts of reasons why I'm always willing to give people a pass on this because it's a hard thing for even a trained eye, the way that we all have to see it on TV, to actually be able to digest, then to let alone understand in a world where we don't know the game plan for anyone specifically when it comes to offense or defense in these games. And with all the things that you can do here, the little intricacies, it's even that much harder up front in a spot that is predicated on five people doing one thing together on a team. Like the rest of the offense here, you can have four receivers go out, three run the wrong route, but if one wins, you can have a great play there. That doesn't necessarily work like that up front. So there are a lot of, I think, very understandable reasons why it's tough for people. Michael Jr. is trying to get to the bottom of why it's so hard to find a good O-line. What's the biggest weakness? And maybe it's different at every team, but it just feels to me, especially early in seasons, that universally you hear so rarely about a team having a good O-line. Why are so many teams so bad? What are they missing? Is it speed? Is it feet? Is it feet? Is it strength? Is it smarts? Uh, I think a lot of times it's continuity and time, Sarah. Like the biggest thing and the biggest fallout from go back to 2011, that CBA that we had the lockout for, one of the big things that came out of that was reduced practice time in the offseason, reduced amount of two-a-days in training camp. And while that's great for career longevity for a lot of guys here, what it does is take away a lot of the reps that you need at that position. I, I had one of, I think, the best offensive line coaches in the history of sport, college or pro, and Harry Heastam my last year at Notre Dame. And we were out before practice, 40 minutes before everyone else. We were out there 40 minutes after everyone else. Because in the time allotted, you're not just able to get all the reps you need to be good at what is one of the two most unnatural skill sets on the field. Like when you think about offensive line play and defensive back play, what does it really entail? Going backwards and defending or protecting against the best athletes on the field, right? Mm. And so you've got to do that with a skill set that's not like running or throwing the ball, these things that we're born and kind of innately do. It's a completely learned skill set. And the only way to get better at that is time that a lot of these players don't have. And so when you look at this position and you see a team at a certain position like D-end, let's say, go and draft a guy with unbelievable physical ability, that's great because it's C-ball, hit-ball on that side of the thing. But when you have to learn how to kick slide back in your stance, how to switch maybe from left to right, how to put your hands in the right spot in the run game and the pass game, how to do that then in concert with four other guys out there, that's a lot harder to learn in the limited hours that you've got now. And so if you're a guy that's a little more raw coming out and a team is banking on, hey, we invested first-round draft capital in a guy, not all these dudes are made equal coming out of these college programs. And so I think you don't have nearly as much time and reps to afford to this position. And as a result, we see usually the first quarter of the season, quite frankly, look a little bit muddy for groups that are breaking in new players up front. So we're talking to Mike Golick Jr. about the offensive line and trying to make everybody a little smarter. Let's do that here. We're going into week one. Somebody's sitting in a bar. What's one thing that a fan just watching can look for that would make them sound really smart when they're talking about offensive lines? Uh, I think just little things like watching when guys get off the snap count. Like uh, I've heard uh, smart guys, Brandon Thorne, who's one of the best offensive line video breakdown guys on Twitter, does a great job with his website, Trench Warfare. He always talks about he looks at the tackle that's closest to the bottom of the screen because that's the one you can see the most of. And so just figuring out where he's going to go, how quickly he gets off the ball on these things is always going to put you a step ahead of that. I would say just that alone and then just trying to figure out little things here. Like when I talk to people and try and really boil it down to the simplest possible form here, 
is, okay, looking at the difference between gap and zone, right? We see all these zone blocking things. When you've got everyone moving in one direction, when you've got five guys stepping in the same direction, going together, zone blocking schemes, these things we hear popularized with teams like the Los Angeles Rams here, the Kyle Shanahan's of the world who have a family tree devoted to zone blocking in the NFL (laughs) versus what you might see for a team like Kansas City, a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, where all of a sudden you've got guys moving, pulling these gap scheme runs here. I think there's little differences like that and being able to identify scheme things that'll pop right away for you here are always easy ways to delineate some of what you're seeing up front. Michael Jr. is with us here on Spain and Fitz trying to explain why good O-line is hard to find. Uh, Are there any teams that you've seen in the preseason maybe that people are critical of and you say all they need is a little time or teams where you say, wow, they're really going to be screwed for most of the season unless something changes? Yeah, I think there's three teams that come to mind for different reasons here. I think Jacksonville, we all saw that nightmare train last night. Urban Meyer looked like he was back on that cart-eating pizza at the Ohio State game for a lot of that on the (laughs) sideline. And most of it was because his quarterback was under duress. I will say just because of health, that situation is going to improve a little bit. Brandon Linder and Andrew Nor uh, Brandon Linder, excuse me, and Andrew Norwell are probably their two best linemen. Their center and guards, respectively, here have been out with camp during injury. They're going to solidify some of the middle, which, as we all know, is the place you want pressure to come from the least. And then I would look at two developmental offensive lines right now. The Dolphins and the Steelers have been the focus for a lot of us here. The Dolphins have a young offensive line. They've invested some capital in. They're trying to find the right format here. And I think when you look at some of those guys like Robert Hunt, their right guard here, Rob Hain, or excuse me, Liam Eichenberg, who is their second-round draft pick out of Notre Dame here, they've got some good pieces on that line. And I think once they find the right order, we've seen them getting better. They're not a good line yet, but they're getting better. And then the Steelers. We know so much is made about not being able to protect Ben Roethlisberger, what that offense looks like here. And I listen, I think as much as I love Najee Harris, they're back. First-round draft capital should have gone to the offensive line. But you're getting Zach Banner back, who was going to be the starter for you last year. All of these different things. I think that group has a chance in an offense that's going to use more play action and motion to develop more as the year goes along. It's different, but I don't necessarily think we should write them off totally. We appreciate you, Mike. Thanks for hanging out with us, brother. Thanks, guys. Mike Golick Jr., listen to him every day on Shanae and Golick Jr. on ESPN Radio, right before us, getting ready for everything. That's the education we all needed on the offensive line. In the meantime, we've got to get to a bunch of different NFL stories, so we'll do it the way only we can on this show. Quickies coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. R.I.P. to Charlie Watts. Pretty unbelievable. Rolling Stones playing for decades and decades and decades with that core group and really entertaining right up until uh, the passing of Charlie Watts today. Saw them two years ago, 2019, so in their 70s and still crushing. Uh, Just incredible. And to get along well enough, Fitz, as someone who is in a band, I can only imagine you would know this to be together from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and still want to get out there and perform together and tour together. Yeah, to think about the fact that, you know, he passed at the age of 80. So when you saw him, he was around, what, 78, Mm -hmm. uh, 70s. Like, you start thinking about that, the ability to just play at a high level at that point, not only play with your friends at a high level at that point, especially for rock and roll, which has always been a young man's game for uh, so many guys of that age to still be out there making influence, uh, uh, incredibly 
a sad moment for him to pass, but also a moment to look back at the, the Stones and the legacy that they left. It, uh, really, I would implore anyone that hasn't gone back and listened to early Stones, you should. There's a whole bunch of library out there, you kids. Go listen to it. Well, and watch some of the documentaries about their influences from American blues, yeah. Muddy Waters and folks like that. You really need to look at the roots of how they found their music and how they became who they were to understand it. It's it's pretty awesome. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We got a lot of NFL stuff to get to, so we're going to get to it the only way we know how. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Some quick cleanup on the Jameis, I'm sorry, the Cam Newton story from yesterday that we touched on briefly, but there's more. A lot of people wondering if it passes the sniff test. The idea that everyone's pretty well read on how to travel, how to, you know, get into the testing cadence, use the right tests and everything. Some are wondering if maybe the Patriots are sort of falling on the sword for Cam Newton on this one, sort of trying to cover up for what might be a bigger deal than just an oopsie. Uh, we got some more background on exactly what happened today on Get Up from ESPN Patriots reporter Mike Reese. Players arrived back here to Gillette Stadium on Friday. Remember, last week they spent the whole week in Philadelphia, a couple joint practices and a preseason game. So then they had some time off, and that sort of set the stage for what happened here. The Patriots were, as you read in the statement, fine with Cam going to do what he needed to do, and he still underwent daily testing, which is something that unvaccinated players would have to do. But here's the key. And it seems like this is where the misunderstanding is. It can't just be any test you're taking. It has to be this bioreference test, which is the group that's leading the testing here with the Patriots. So Cam sort of fell out of his cadence, his rhythm here in the testing. He has to reset the clock. That's why he's going to be five days until he can get back into the facility. Fitz, this is a huge deal for a true quarterback battle that Belichick, by all accounts, wants him to win. But now, for the first time... You're seeing you're seeing Mac get all the starts and all the reps with the first team. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting because I think there's a real opportunity for Mac to grow through this process and getting a few days of starts and getting a few days of uh, focused reps. So th- that's a, a win for him and possibly a win for the Patriots. But still confusing to think in this world how we got to where we are on this camp situation. I'll continue to say that right now the most important thing that every NFL team should be doing with their players is making sure everybody involved in the process is clear on the code rules and restraints so it's it's interesting to me to be here and interesting to me to see what it will do to standard operating procedure as we go into the season well especially because cam got covid last year and you remember whether it was you know declared or not he looked very different post covid than he did before there are other factors potentially but covid brain and and long covid sort of that, that stuff is, is no joke, and I, I would think he would be more careful, especially as an unvaccinated guy. All right, next story. Quickies. Another quarterback battle we've had our eye on is Jameis Winston versus Taysom Hill. Feels like Jameis is the shoe-in, but Sean Payton has really wanted to prove that Taysom Hill is a starting QB worth starting QB money, which he's making. And last night may have been the final straw for him being able to play the game of I'm not going to announce yet, we're not sure. Here's Marcus Spears on Barton Hahn talking about how he's pretty certain that Jameis is not only going to win the job, but could be better off for the Saints than Breeze last year. Jameis can put this team in a more explosive and a better position than Drew Breeze could last year. So I think this team can be, a, be really good. I think they're a threat. Obviously, in the NFC, 
And I don't know why anybody would write him off other than if you're thinking Jameis is going to return to a guy that's throwing a high volume of interceptions. I'm not in that train anymore. I don't believe Jameis is going to throw a lot of picks because I don't think Sean Payton is going to allow him to. So I, I think, I, yeah, I think they'll be a significant threat in the NFC. Buying that? That's a heck of a a <laughs> caveat to put onto it. Like that's like saying, you know what? I think I can have abs by the end of the year if I don't eat a single splurge between now and then. <laughs> like, cool, that's a great concept, but not going to be reality. Like uh, to to come in and sort of forget that portion of Jameis's history and to make it as simple as Sean Payton won't allow it. Well, I mean, that's the very reason that Jameis could play himself out of the job. I think Jameis has got the job squarely, and I think he has the chance to be very good, but uh, I, it's taking a lot of yeah buts for me to get there. Yeah, to me, it's very clear last night that he won the position, which was one he should win, uh, Taysom Hill, a guy that they can use very effectively, but not as their full-time starting quarterback. You shouldn't be surprised by Jameis making big plays, those two touchdown passes that went over 40 yards. That's something new. That certainly is something that he gives them over last year's Drew Brees, who didn't have the arm for it. He's a guy who threw for 5,000 yards in 2019, 30 touchdowns. He can make the big play. But, of course, we all remember 30 picks, 35 turnovers total. And let's also keep in mind this is a preseason game where he got some big help from a Jags defense that's under a first-time NFL head coach that were 1-15 last year. And Marquez Callaway absolutely helped him out with a couple catches where we're maybe having a little bit of a different conversation if not for those. So I'm going to stay back on the he's a changed man. We're not going to see any more bad decision-making. But if he plays like last night, boy, are the Saints going to be a much better team than maybe people expected. It's Bain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. were presented by Progressive Insurance. Doing a little NFL quickies. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. Yeah, uh, speaking of quarterback battles, we can, I, Fitz, I had an idea, we'll get to this later, of trying to do an entire segment where if either of us mentioned the name of a quarterback or the position, we would get dinged because I feel like it's all we're focusing on and there's so many other good NFL position battles to talk about. But we are talking, of course, about Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick expected to be great. And Jeff Darlington thought last night and the way he got killed by a bad offensive line wasn't just about the line but also about him just needing more reps. Here's what Jeff Darlington, our ESPN NFL reporter, said on Get Up. I think that this is the repercussions of not giving Trevor Lawrence the starting job. And you could say, well, watching that game, it certainly didn't look like he earned it. But my thing is he clearly needs more repetitions. You will never change my mind about Trevor Lawrence in terms of his generational talent. We know, we should know, that this guy not only deserved to be the number one overall pick, he deserves to be the starting quarterback right away, get in there, and start getting those first-team reps. To me, this was just evidence that he needs more repetitions. He needs more time with that first-team offense to, to develop that chemistry because right now he's not getting it. It is time for Urban Meyer to name Trevor Lawrence the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Fitz, yeah. you need that from him? I, I mean, if it, if it gives him every rep and gives him every ounce of playing time, then sure, go for it. I, I mean, this is I've, – I've long said, and I will continue to say, that Trevor Lawrence will be failed by the Jags before the Jags will be failed by Trevor Lawrence. And we've already seen that. I saw a couple of people on Twitter last night uh, during the game talking about even Urban Meyer's body language versus Trevor Lawrence after each mistake that was made. And I, I, I don't think Urban Meyer is going to turn out to be the coach that a lot of people do. So, you know, anything that, that puts this on Urban's shoulders, not on Trevor's, I'll take. 
Yeah, it, it's, you know, I'm, I have a lot of question marks about how Urban Meyer is going to fare at the NFL level. Obviously, has won a ton of games at, at, in college, but a lot of the moves so far have been questionable. And I, 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 he has run away from so many jobs because of conflict that you wonder exactly how long he'll stick around here if things aren't good from the jump. And I, I think I agree with Darlington. Listen, it, it's to me, it's it's not about the necessity, especially for media types, to get that answer so they can write those columns they're looking for. But it is about being able to let the team know who their guy is with more time to spare than just right before game one. And obviously Gardner Minshew's putting up a fight, but I think everybody knows where this is headed. And if you're going to get him the reps that he needs to be more effective and to get in a rhythm with that bad offensive line, you're wise to do so. He's also not getting any help because we have the news today that Travis Etienne is done for the season. Their first round pick out of Clemson, obviously a guy that that uh, Trevor Lawrence would love to have out there, has a rhythm and a, and a relationship with him. He's on IR after a least Franck injury, likely to end the season. Uh, such a bummer, Fitz. You hate to see that for any early uh, player, but especially because we know that relationship and what it could look like down there and how it would help Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, also for a player that was a questionable draft pick given the depth that the Jags already had at mm-hmm. running back. So now you look at it as a questionable draft pick that's also going to miss a year. It's not the start that they want out of that draft class. That's going to be a very interesting team to keep an eye on all year long because of all those different storylines. That was NFL Quickies here on Spain and Fitz. Coming up next, the great philosopher Ludacris once said, what's your fantasy? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Stones today here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Charlie Watts, the drummer for the Stones, passed away today at the age of 80. Fitz, you guys ever do covers with the band Perry? And do you ever dabble in some stones? Uh, yeah. So uh, Painted Black was what I played oh, on fiddle for my nice. intro every night for uh, you know a couple of years on tour because they always brought the band out and let us sort of play whatever we want. So... Uh, the drummer just kept the beat, and we we went from song to song. And I always did the uh, uh, the melody for Painted Black. I always thought it was kind of a, a cool way to, yeah, to make things that's different. Awesome, yeah. Yeah. love I, that. Very cool. And, and again, you referenced it earlier, but I think that like the the blues impact to the Stones is part of what has made the Stones such a generational impact as a rock band. And I would implore everybody to go out like if you're looking for an introduction to the Rolling Stones, instead of starting with Satisfaction like everybody does, like go back to the first two records, and you hear a lot of growth in that band. It's really amazing. I actually saw Buddy Guy open for the Rolling Stones in Milwaukee about five years ago, which was really cool because of the connection that they have, because of the way the Stones grew up on a lot of Chicago-based rhythm and blues, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty awesome to see them to see them together. And he came out and played some songs with them. So, uh, R.I.P. to Charlie Watts, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. While we're on story time with you, Fitz. Um, you have a fantasy story. We're going to get into some Spain and Fitz fantasy league conversation here. We have yet to pick our final member. A listener will be selected, but you had a, a fantasy story yeah. to share. So like I'm in my first ever uh, dynasty league. I've never done this before. I've never gone dynasty where, you know, you're holding these guys forever and it's a whole different beast. Uh, but uh, my buddy, James, our buddy, we, we all know James Steele around here. Uh, James uh, had invited me to play with some guys. We played last year in a normal league. And so some of the diehards decided we were going to try Dynasty, right? So we're in this different app and we're trying everything out. And as the as we began, there was no time clock on any pick. It was just sort of you're up and we're, you, know, you, you got to pick a ton of players when you're doing this. So they've sort of kept everything loose in the process. By the way, we took the Wonderlick test to decide our draft order. So it was. <laughs> How'd you do? Uh, not, 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 not 
not great. I've had not great. <laughs> middle of the pack. At least I can say middle of the pack. So, you know, uh, but the, what they did at the end of the test is said, okay, this is where you ranked once they knew, and then you got to pick where you wanted to be in the draft. So we made it through the first round, and everything was really slow. And we made it through the second round, and everybody's sort of picking at a snail's pace. So a message went out to the group and said, hey, as we move forward, we're going to give everybody plenty of time, but if you've reached a spot where you're stuck, reach out to us. But otherwise, if we're going hours and hours and hours, uh, we'll just have the computer auto-draft for you if you're not available so we can start to move this process along. you got like 20 rounds to get through, and everybody, nobody objected to it. It seemed like that was a good idea. So we get to the spot where we've gone like, I don't know, five, six hours. Nobody's made the, – the one person hadn't made a pick. We blew through the round. One person hadn't made a pick. So the commissioners went in and let the computer draft for them. Frankly, they took somebody that I was going to take next. So I was really bummed. I was like, oh, man, no. I really want him. Well, it turns out, dude that got auto-picked freaked out. And instead of coming back to everybody like a normal adult would and say, hey, guys, I didn't see the note. Uh, I, I really don't want to do it this way. Can we back things up? What can we do? Like, instead of coming in like a normal person, he freaked out at James and the other commissioner, started like yelling at everybody, Whoa. and then said he quit. So all of a sudden, in the what? middle of the draft, we're like, one of the guys quit because in a dynasty league, you didn't like one player. Like, to be fully wow. transparent here, I accidentally picked the wrong guy earlier. And I'm like, <laughs> that's on me. I'm an idiot. It's a dynasty league. You can get around one pick, but no. He freaked out, and they had to actually find – it turns out that we had to find somebody else to step in, take his te- his wow. team as it was, and get the rest of the way through. So, you know, Jake, whoever – not uh, Jake that works on our show, but Jake, whoever that's in this league that I don't know, you're a bum for quitting oh. on one pick. Jake, huh? Soft. I was going to ask, what's Travis up to today? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, inside, it inside radio joke, guys. Yeah. Inside radio joke. Um, wow, that is tremendous – that is tremendously sad to just bail in the middle of the draft. A dynasty is is a little overwhelming for me. I, I can't do it. But we are having another Spain and Fitz Fantasy League PPR small buy-in, you know, just for, what do we call them, Fitz and Gliggles, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which reminds me, Fitz, we have to decide right now, what is the criteria for selecting our last member? I asked, is it name the league like last year? Is it the best Raiders or Bears inspired fantasy team name? Mm. Is it a straight up bribe? Is it an uh, some sort of uh, offering of what they could do for us? At JP Whiteford said cutest pup, whoever has the cutest dog. Um, and at Poet Gambler is immediately removed for suggesting Law and Order Special Teams Unit doink doink as a name. Uh, we're moving past that. Okay. We're no longer talking about the double doink. You are no longer in the running. <laughs> I, and I will say here quickly that that means that, that that shows you where all the power is in this organization. Because I thought Doink Doink was a great idea. No, uh, but, we're, but, not but doink, we're not doinking going. anything. And it can't be cutest puppy because all puppies are cute. And I don't have yeah. the heart also, to tell mine anybody. Would win that, and I'm yeah, already in the not. league. So that's fair. That is fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what do we think? Just league name? Is that is that? A, yeah, is, I think league name because uh, okay. I'm I'm too easily bribable. Like what somebody going to send right. me a box of Mike and Ikes and suddenly I'm like you're in. Yeah, also, like, I would definitely pick the Chicago-based team names. You would pick the Raiders. We would never come to a quorum. So uh, we're going to put this at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, uh, at Spain and Fitz. You're going to tell us the best name for the Fantasy League. Uh, Last year, it was Wet A Pigskin just for Fitz and Gliggles. I had to say that very slowly. There's a lot of landmines there for a number of reasons, <laughs> and that was the winner. Now, you can incorporate things from our show that you're a big fan of, 
you know, recurring segments or jokes. It can be something relating to our names. It can be unrelated to us or our show and just be funny and specific to the time we're in. Maybe it's, uh, you know, the inner inner Vecton and, you know, sheep. I, I can't even finish. I'm just, uh, uh, you know, it's yeah. uh, various uh, mem- mem- members of the bleach family, whatever people are using to cure themselves of COVID <laughs> now. Uh, it's uh, it's animal animal products and, sh- and bleach, I've heard. Uh, whatever floats your boat is essentially what we're looking for here. And if you win, you will be in the league. Uh, last year's member, one of the two listener members at Angry Bears Fan Dad Man, a.k.a. Hafid, is uh, going to be the commissioner because we lost our commissioner and none of us want to do it. So I was like, all right, you're in the league again if you'll be the commissioner. So uh, I love that. You won, so now you get more responsibility. Uh, That's what we do around here. But he won again because he gets to be in the league again. I consider that a win, right? Yeah, no, that is a... You know, that's a bit of a win, I guess. But I'm just saying, like, uh, yeah, always remember my buddy Kenny used to always say on the road, do it once, it's a favor. Do it twice, it's a gig. Now he's going to be stuck <laughs> being the commissioner until uh, further notice. There we go. Yeah, well, we're going to try to follow up on some of the things that we didn't do a great job of last time, including whoever's last will be receiving some sort of social media punishment. Mm-hmm. I think last time it was maybe going to be a some sort of singing challenge and i think Cheney lost so we're all the better for it that we didn't follow up yeah, that's fair. we all know how that always goes uh but yeah we're gonna have some some serious repercussions for anyone who quits halfway through like your man jake yeah i think you know we need to uh, yes if you quit halfway through then we'll find some way to berate you for life and we'll find something to give the winner i don't i don't know what that is like that you know maybe uh, only if it's not passing son though if passing son win uh we're going to change the rules that he has to give us all the money somehow yeah that that's fair passing son wins and I, I can't handle that little like as a loser the trash talking was out of control if he wins <laughs> i'm not ready like supposedly i'm not allowed to be that mean to a kid so you know i'll have to take it out on passing oh i have no such rules i want to <laughs> let you know right now i have no such rules for heckling and harassing children if you want to be in an adult fantasy league step up kiddo here it comes uh coming up on spade and fits is this indeed the last dance all over again we'll get into it next you're listening to the spain and fits podcast spain and fits on espn radio the espn app sirius xm channel 80 sarah spain jason fits we're presented by progressive insurance all of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and I don't know, it's just it's hitting different this year, Sarah. Preseason's hitting different. There's less games. Feels like there's more urgency. I don't know why. I just feel like I'm more into it this year. Uh, maybe it's because I, I have that glimmer of hope still in my eye that the Raiders might be pretty good. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. But either way, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we haven't hit that week one reminder that I'm living <laughs> in delusion. But either way, I feel like at the end of the day, everything is just it, it's coming at us faster. And for that reason, it's all the more important that we do what only we can do on this show. We don't just do previews. We actually go camping. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. Although, admittedly, I'm more of a glamping guy than a camping guy. We're going to go camping now with all things Green Bay Packers. We're joined by our very own Rob Domofsky. ESPN Packers reporter Rob, thanks so much for the time. Uh, it's it's hard to to obsess about anything other than the quarterback position, right? When we talk about the Packers, yeah. so let's just no start doubt. there. I mean, what at this point, what's the vibe like? What's the sort of feel around all things Aaron Rodgers? 
You know what? It's really back to normal, Jason. I mean, the first, as, as abnormal as the offseason was, as weird as it was to wonder if he was going to show up, and then that whole press conference on the first day of camp where he basically just, it was an airing of the grievances, which, you know, in, in some respects I think was good. He got it all out there, and there was nothing left unsaid, and there was none of these, oh, the media made up this story and blah, blah, blah. Um, and we've moved on, except for the fact that every time you see Aaron Rodgers and general manager Brian Gutekunst chatting on the field, you have to wonder, you know, who who is Aaron Rodgers telling him he wants to trade for now? Um, I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but um, you know, it's it, from a football standpoint, you know, Rodgers looks amazing. Um, he, he's as good as ever. He, he looks like the MVP. You know, the only thing you wonder is just how is it behind the scenes? Yeah, absolutely, and I do think you're right, though, that getting that out there the very first day cuts back on the a million questions and people digging for the real answers. He gave them to you. He made it pretty yep. clear, and now you can focus. I'm doing the tea leaves on the social media, though, and it feels to me uh, like <laughs> he's he's doing a lot of goodbyes. Here's a longtime you know, equipment guy. Here's a guy who's been with the team for yep. 20 years. Are people keeping tabs on how it feels like he's making sure to acknowledge those he cares about? Or could that just be some pettiness of, like, you'll never see one of these about Gutekunst? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a little bit of everything, Sarah. And, like, you know, when he and uh, – was it Randall Cobb posted their, like, bring Clay Matthews yeah. back? I mean, it was almost like he was trying to figure out how far he can push things as far as who he can get here. But but I will say this. He did some of that last year, you know, the the – stop and smell the roses kind of stuff. And, and he, and he said, he goes, look, that was remember when he said, my future's a beautiful mystery uh, last year. And, and I think he said he wanted to kind of enjoy it a little bit more. And, and that's continued on to this year. He said several times that he thought last year could have been his last year. And he thinks this year might be his last year so that he's going to appreciate it and enjoy it along the way. And, you know, obviously if he thought last year was his last year, it turned out that it wasn't. Maybe this year won't be either, but it does have a little bit more of a finality to it because, you know, they did the thing with the contract where they lopped off the 2023 season and it makes it more palatable for the Packers to move on if if, if that's the way it goes next season. They actually pick up some salary cap space and they're in, a, they're in an all-time salary cap problem for next year. So this does have a lot of things that point to a last dance type of season. We're talking to ESPN Packers reporter Rob Domofsky uh, on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. What I, I know this is, you know, two questions in one, but I, I can't find a better way to ask it. Short term, long term, what are the implications to Jordan Love for all of this? Yeah, that's. I think it's a great question, and I think here's the thing in the short term. Okay, Jordan Love, they never expected him to be the starter in 2021. Like that was never the plan. Now. Had Rodgers been so disgruntled that, you know, he wasn't going to show up and was going to sit out this year, they would have had to start love. That was their only option. But they're much happier to give him another summer to develop. Now, he's got the shoulder injury that kept him out against the Jets. Not ideal. They said all along that they want to get him as many live reps as possible. Because remember, Jason, he wasn't even the backup last year. He was the third stringer. The next step was for him to be the second stringer and get some work this preseason. He came back to practice today, looked like he's ready to play on Saturday. Long-term, it's it's probably smart that he gets another year with Aaron Rodgers. And look, the one thing you say about Rodgers in this whole thing is he has treated Jordan Love very well. Um, he said it's, it's nothing personal, 
and and I think he's done a really good job being a great teammate to Jordan Love, as he's done to a lot of his backups here. I mean, he, he's been close with guys like Matt Flynn, uh, Joe Callahan, Tim Boyle, all these guys that have been here as backups. He's really treated them well and made them feel a big part of the quarterback room. And, and there's no difference here with Jordan Love. And, and Jordan, it's up to him now to soak all that up, just like Rodgers did with Favre, even though Favre wasn't necessarily good to him right away. We're camping with Rob Domovsky, who covers Green Bay, here on Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive. I want to get a couple non-quarterback questions in, and one of them is about that linebacker group that just got ate up in pass coverage last mm. year. Are there reasons to believe it'll look better this season? Well, they've never, Sarah, surprisingly invested really heavily in that linebacker, especially the inside linebacker group, um, and, and it's, co- it's, it's cost them. You're, you're absolutely right. Now, the one under-the-radar thing that they did do – uh, in June, it was pretty late in the offseason as they signed Devondre Campbell, who started a lot of games in this league, and they think he may be more athletic, uh, more apt to be able to cover space uh, than, they, than they've had before. It was not a high-cost signing. It was like a one-year, $2 million deal. It was not expensive. So, you know, it's sort of a, you, you know, are you getting what you pay for or are you getting more? And they hope that he's more. And this is a guy who I believe he started every game last year for Arizona, has played for a couple teams in the league, um, because there's two things that have killed them over the last few years. It's it's and it's all up the middle. It's coverage against tight ends and slot receivers, and it's runs right up the middle. And you know that's the that's the thing that that they've just got to get figured out on defense. So, Rob, I know it's way too early to ask anyone to make predictions, but that doesn't stop us from doing it. We're trying to figure out you – know, we're going to keep track of everything, and whoever gets it closest is going to get a prize provided by Sarah because I'm not responsible <laughs> enough to follow through with anything. So, uh, realistically, way too early on a 17-game sch- schedule, what do you think the win-loss record looks like? I think they win uh, at least 12 games, and I wouldn't be surprised if they won – 13 or 14, but I'm going to go. If he, if he, if I've got to go with a number, I'm going to say 12 and what would that be? Five, five. I guess I'm terrible wow. at All math. Right. I went, yeah. I went into this cause I was told there would be no math. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. I avoid statistics like the plague unless they're right in front of me. The numbers, the numbers throw me off. Bonus question, Rob, who's the starting quarterback next year? Jordan love. Ooh. Okay. Ooh. Look at that. That's why Rob is the best. Man. I, I didn't hesitate either, did I? No, that was. No, you did not. That was like straight. I mean, there was there, that was a confident, more confidence than I've had in years, right there. So I, I nothing but respect for him. Follow him on Twitter at Rob Domovsky. Always appreciate you hanging out with us, ESPN NFL Nation Packers reporter. Thanks, Rob, so much. We appreciate you. All right, we'll be seeing you guys. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance: cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more. Progressive.com. I am starting to get a little concerns here because the more NFL Nation people and, and experts we talk to as we go camping, I'm hearing very few tell me that their team's going to be absolutely abysmal and everybody can't win all these games. Like, it just doesn't mm-hmm. work math-wise. So, uh, you know, so far, I, I don't know. Rude awakening for people like, I don't know, <laughs> Raiders fans or otherwise. Wow. Wow. Just wait till that Bears <laughs> offensive line is tragic. Uh, you know what? what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's mean. It's, it's early. Mean. It's early in the season and this is already happening. Can't wait till October. All right, coming up, we're going to look you in the eye for something very important. Just trust us on that. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And Sarah, today was a interesting day for college football. And I, I, I genuinely mean 
interesting because if you look at where the sport has been and where the sport is going, this is a time of incredible change, something that college football fans, uh, frankly, resist at every turn. College football fans don't really like when things change, and that's part of the reason that I think Texas-Oklahoma moving to the SEC was such a shock for so many in the same year where we've seen name image likeness in the same year where we've seen playoff conversations about expansion, and some of those conversations took a weird twist now with an alliance that has been officially announced, if you can actually announce an alliance, between the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC. And it's curious for a couple of reasons. One, obviously it's missing the Big 12. But two, it's obvious that the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 have looked around and said, hey, we want to make sure that the SEC doesn't run away with all of the power. And I don't know if this really changes that in some landscape on the field, but it certainly changes that in the landscape of what happens in meetings behind closed doors. Yeah, it's I think there's a lot of fear right now. Fitz, you'll you'll recall that for the last however many years, I've been saying a sea change is coming in college sports. And I keep being a little ahead of things because I think, you know, one or the other of the massive developments is going to blow this whole thing open. I think we're finally there. Whether, you know, it's it's a slow build of frustration around, you know, pay to play under the table FBI investigations. It's about the the ever-growing amount of money to be passed around to everybody but the athletes. You know, it's all sorts of things that have been broken open and festering. And now, because the NCAA is so weak, they have been unable to try to preserve the semblance of what they wanted things to look like. And it's been taken over by the strongest among them, and that's the SEC. And, you know, it was interesting to read the anonymous thoughts of some of the people behind the scenes at the Big Ten and other conferences talking about how they still... And there was some subtweeting going on in today's alliance announcement subtweeting of the sec talking about still prioritizing academics and student (laughs) athletes and it still matters to us and you look at the you know gpas of the football teams and and the schools where they rank um nationally and and there is a big divide between schools and the sec and even the acc duke is really helping them out up at number 12 but there's there's a lot behind this that's been pushing 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 And now this is a last-ditch effort from the other conferences to try to find their way into some power position as massive change will be voted on, not just things like college football playoff, but does this spin off into just a minor league that's not even associated with college anymore, right? Is the Power Five just going to become essentially minor leagues like you might see in MLB or even in – in basketball, the G League trying to become a certain separation from from schools. That's on the horizon. Well, and I thought it was interesting, you know, your point about uh, academia being part of the conversation today. It was interesting hearing commissioners talk about the number of games that kids are going to play as an issue, which is a subtweeting way of saying, hey, we're not all sure over here. We're all in on college football playoff expansion. And, you know, I think that's a curious moment because let's be real expansion makes everybody a ton of money, but it's also their way of saying, you know what, everything that we've known, we're going to re-examine now that we are all besties over here because we want to make sure that the sec knows that this group has power to me. This is all about the, the, not only the power that comes with it, but trying to display where that power has some ability to you to be used because that's the key in all of this is, is 
what can what can these alliances do to step into the SEC and say, hey, we're not going to do it that way? And if they, if playoff expansion becomes part of that conversation of what they're trying to block or change, then suddenly you, you're having a totally different talk because if an expanded SEC doesn't have a clear path to a bunch of playoff spots, it's going to get really frustrating to be Florida or Tennessee or one of these schools that feels like you should, when things are good, be in that conversation. But now because of limitations on how many slots are available to the SEC, you can't get in. I mean, they could actually create a fractured SEC simply by changing the way the playoff looks. Yeah, and it's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking about the alliance that started officially today with an announcement. You know, we could tiptoe around some of the issues around ESPN having the rights to the SEC network and college football playoff, and the delay on that expansion might be because some places want their television networks to have a, a, a shot at getting some of the playoffs. And that's sort of a part of this, too, is the sort of the power dynamics have, have been so shifted that this feels necessary for this these conferences to, to get together. I don't know what happens to the Big 12. I really don't. Um, and I feel bad for some of those schools left in the lurch by what felt like a pretty quick and, and underhanded and uh, without warning decision by Texas and Oklahoma to go over to the SEC. But also worth noting, and we talked about this earlier in the show, and I think we have the sound for it, the, the statement by ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips that this alliance is just a gentleman's handshake. It's about trust. It's about we've looked each other in the eye. We've made an agreement. We have great confidence and faith. Our board chairs have looked each other in the eye and have committed to the same level of support and connection to one another. Our athletics directors have done that. And so if that's what it takes to get something considerable done, then, you know, we've, we've lost our way. Of course, binding contracts uh, serve a purpose. <laughs> but at this juncture, that to us wasn't a critical element of it. And um, we'll certainly see where all this goes. But, but I know what we discussed. We all know what was the, we discussed. And we're very confident about executing on all that's been described today. I just, the thought of we've looked each other in the eyes only makes me think of how often a coach sits in a living room with a family and looks a mom in the eyes, dad in the eyes, and says, you know what? If your kid comes here, he's going to have this opportunity, this opportunity, this opportunity. We're going to let him do this, this, and this. And then all of a sudden, through the process of, I don't know, they show up at school and they're already committed. Now, suddenly, the coaching staff isn't really there for him. It doesn't really offer those opportunities. Like, college football, as a rule, has been built around business and mistrust so often. So to think that the people that are actually mm-hmm. running this suddenly think that there's going to be a kumbaya when the Big 12 had no idea. Just just days before the world found out Texas and Oklahoma were out, nobody even knew that it was in mm-hmm. the realm of possibility. And now you want to say, yeah, but we've been talking and we trust each mm-hmm. other. This is just stupid. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list four sentences. You tell me which one is part of SNL's transcript for bad idea jeans and which one came from that announcement today now that i have kids i feel a lot better having a gun in the house (laughs) i thought about it and even though it's over i'm gonna tell my wife about the affair (laughs) normally i wear protection but then i thought when am i gonna make it back to haiti and well written contracts do have a place but oh my god i mean you that's the that's going to be the headline when the acc gets built out of something because they were trusting looking deep in the eyes and a handshake. Uh, you know, it's the 
the level of competence that I presume that the leaders in college sports will have because they're leaders and they're they're high paid educators at some level, like they're responsible for something. You would think that they have the business acumen to do all of this, but but realistically, all I want from anybody in any of these situations is honesty. I would respect the hell out of this alliance coming out and saying, hey, you know what? We're trying to block the SEC. We want better TV deals, and we think by working together, we can accomplish that. Like, you know what? I would tip my hat and say, you, sir, are brilliant, but anything short of what that, what we're getting right now is essentially an announcement that a bunch of people have sat in a room, they've all looked each other in the eye, they've sang Kumbaya, and they've decided that in some way they're going to work together and they're not going they're going to work against the SEC. That's all we've really found out. I don't know that there's much more to take away from it. In the meantime, there's plenty to take away from the NFL. We are ready to go camping. The question is, does Andy Reid go glamping or camping? We'll find out <laughs> next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We continue to go camping with NFL teams around the league as the preseason rolls on and we get Close to real, actual, meaningful football that counts. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're going to go camping with the Chiefs. Let's go. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. That's right, ESPN Chiefs reporter Adam Teicher is with us to go camping in KC. Adam, I got to start with where we left off with the Chiefs last year, and it was ugly. It was an offensive line that fell apart in a Super Bowl after everybody said, oh, this is just going to be the next brick in a dynastic house built by Patrick Mahomes and said he was running around like the place was on fire. Have they fixed their (laughs) O-line? Yeah, they uh, Sarah. They brought in eight offensive linemen, all all of them um, who didn't play for the Chiefs last year. All of them are strong roster candidates. So, uh, you know, they did any, everything they could probably reasonably do to fix that offensive line. And um, you know, the early returns are pretty good. You know, the, it's interesting. The Chiefs have three rookies starting on the offensive line. Um, you, you know there's going to be some bumps in the road there, but uh, so far so good. All three of them played major college. All three of them played a lot of football. I mean, they started you know between the three of them, something like well over 100 games between the three of them in college. One was a four-year starter. So um, it, it was uh, so, so these guys are probably beyond their years right now. And, you know, they've got Orlando Brown playing left tackle. He's still trying to make that transition after playing on the right side with Baltimore and, and he's still trying to uh, uh, adjust to his new spot. So there's going to be some, uh, maybe some growing pains, if you will, for this line, but the chiefs are pretty encouraged that over the long haul, they, they probably got everything right. So we'll see if they're right or not. But uh, I, I think the, so far, I, I think things are pretty encouraging in that respect for the chiefs. Adam, my friend, it's amazing to me. We watched the Chiefs lose the Super Bowl, and suddenly it's like the sky's falling. But they were back in the Super Bowl. So uh, outside of offensive line, what's the other sort of Achilles heel in your mind for this team? Yeah, believe it or not, I think it's wide receiver. You know, uh, Jason, the Chiefs lost Sammy Watkins to free agency. It didn't really replace him. Um, um, They're going to be going with a group of receivers who were with the team last year. 
And, you know, a lot of it centers on McCole Hardman and whether he's ready to step into a bigger role. And, and you're still seeing some things with him between he and Pat Mahomes, like you saw last year, like you saw in the Super Bowl, where they're just not in sync a lot. It's, you know, they look at each other after plays, like, what, what, what happened there? So, um, you know, it's, um, I just don't know that he's ready to step into a bigger role. Um, you know, that issue aside, he has delivered a number of big plays for the Chiefs in training camp, had a nice touchdown catch the other night. But, uh, you know, you wonder a little bit. I mean, the, the Chiefs the last three years have done something to fortify their group of skilled players around Mahomes. In 2018, they signed at a big number, Sammy Watkins. And then uh, two, uh, two years ago, their first uh, draft pick was McCole Hardman, a wide receiver. And then last year, their first-round draft pick was a running back, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. This year, the Chiefs really did nothing to fortify themselves at the skill positions. It was all about fixing that offensive line. They put a considerable number of resources into that. Uh, now it's a question of whether um, you know the, the Chiefs did, did they do the right thing? Did they go overboard in 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 this uh, effort to fix this offensive line at at a um, you know, the cost of maybe um, they, they didn't give uh, Pat Mahomes enough to work with? So yep. we'll see. But um, it's not like the cupboard's bare for sure. But uh, I'm wondering whether the Chiefs have enough firepower. Believe it or not. I mean that that's the the coverage bear uh, Adam I think is part of the interesting thing. I, I mean could you make the argument that uh, Tyreek and Kelsey I mean the the weapons that they do have that are known are just so stinking good that it gives everybody else time to develop and they'll be just fine? Well, you know, I mean there's certainly um, you know going to be a tough team to defend no matter what. I mean I, I don't think there's any question about that if those guys stay healthy. But, you know, and the Chiefs have some complimentary pieces. I mean, you know, I think Clyde edwards Lair looks like he's ready to have a better season, a more impactful season than he had last year. And, and you know, the Chiefs do have some receivers. No, Nobody's a, a number one guy, but they have some guys who uh, can give some defenses some problems. The Chiefs probably have uh, th- their best receiving tight end other than Kelsey than they've had in years. Um, that's a pretty low bar, but but still, uh, they have a, a, a draft pick by the name of Noah Gray, who um, they, they have some hopes for as a receiver this year. So uh, it's not like again, it's not like the cupboards bare, but uh, it, it does bear watching whether the Chiefs have enough this year. It's Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. We're camping with Adam Teicher talking about the Chiefs. We spend so much time on the offensive side. What are the strengths and weaknesses they're facing on the defense this year? Yeah, you know, it's been an interesting camp for the Chiefs on the defensive side. I think a lot of the things that they've been looking at uh, as, as issues for them have worked out in their favor. You know, they've, they've, had, they've moved Chris Jones to uh, a, a, an edge rusher this year to an edge position. And, uh, you know, they, they weren't exactly sure how that was going to work out. And, and it's, he's looked pretty good. Uh, you know, he's moving around a little bit on that defensive line. And he's, uh, he's looked really good, Chris Jones has. He looks like he's primed for a good season. So that maybe is working out in their favor. What the Chiefs really needed after splurging on the offensive line, they, they didn't do a whole lot to fortify themselves defensively. They needed a lot of their better young defensive players to take a step forward. And it looks like that's happened for them. There's a number of younger guys who maybe not be household names, 
but are going to play significant roles for the Chiefs. Guys like uh, a linebacker named Willie Gay, a defensive lineman named Mike Dana, a defensive lineman named Tershawn Wharton. I mean, these guys are important players for the Chiefs, and it looks like uh, from the camps that they had that they're going to be more productive last uh, this year than they were last year as rookies, and that's really what the Chiefs needed on defense. So uh, I, I think what they have going is, is kind of interesting on that side of the ball, and that's really what I'm eager to see is where they uh, where they land on defense, how uh, productive they can be on that side of the ball. Because as we know, it's not going to take a ton if the Chiefs are you know, middle of the pack or, or slightly better. That's probably going to be good enough to get them uh, where they want to go with the offense that they have. What kind of changes do you have to make to, to adjust from moving from inside to outside? I mean, realistically, what's he had to do with his body? Yeah, he uh, you know spent the offseason uh, – you know, he took up uh, yoga um, and, and doing more Pilates than he did. He, he wanted to be more flexible. He feels like, uh, you know, the angles he takes on his pass rush are going to be different. He'll, he'll need more flexibility. Um, dropped some weight. So he, uh, uh, you know, he dropped like 10 pounds and, and feels uh, like that's going to, he's now at an ideal weight for a new position. So we'll see if it all works out for him, but um, he, he's pretty encouraged and, um, the, the results from the from camp and the first couple preseason games would uh, would bear that out. Spain and Fitz, we're going camping with the Chiefs. We check in with every team as the regular season approaches. We've been asking everyone this, and I, I know it's quite early, and there is a lot that can change. But we're getting predictions from every reporter. We're going to write them down, and whoever is closest at the end of the season gets some sort of prize that uh, I will be responsible for and Fitz will pay for. That's the deal I think we came to. So uh, what is the prediction? <laughs> Keep Remember, it cheap. Keep seven, it cheap. 17-game <laughs> season prediction. Well, I'm going to hold you guys to that. When the Chiefs go 12-5, and five, you guys owe me, okay? Well, uh, you know, the Chiefs have won at least 12 games each of the last three seasons, and I don't see how that's going to go down this year with an extra game. Tough schedule, though. I mean, you know, they got uh, the, the, they start with the Browns, the Ravens, and the Chargers. I mean, that's that's a pretty good start. And game five is the Bills. So, uh, the, yeah, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good schedule they've got this year. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just feel like they, they have enough going for them, and they, they can navigate this minefield and, and, uh, be, uh, and come out again in first place in the AFC West, maybe on top of the AFC. So I'll, I'll stick with 12-5. Uh, and five. That's what I said when the schedule comes out, and I'm inclined to uh, stick, with, stick with that one right now. All right, bonus question. Two, two losses question. to the Raiders. and then Okay, oh, go okay, ahead, sir. Yeah. <laughs> bonus question. Uh, you didn't ask for any of this, but you're getting it anyway. There are only a few teams that people have predicted to have the same record or better. Now, we haven't gotten to everyone yet, but so far, Rob Domofsky has the Packers at 12-5. and five. Lindsay Theory has the Rams at 12-5. and five. And, ooh, this is an interesting one. Brooke Pryor has the Steelers at 13-4. and four. Whoa. Who you who you got the biggest beef with of the people who have their teams at or or better than the Chiefs? Well, the Steelers have two games with the Browns and two uh, games with the Ravens. That's a tough mm-hmm. division. I, I feel like it's going to be tough for the Steelers to get to thirteen. So, I'm with you. I, and, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of there with the Rams too. I mean, that's a pretty good division with with Seattle and the 49ers and even the Cardinals. So, I, I'm not there with the Rams getting to twelve either. I, so if you're asking me who's most accurate in that uh, group, I'd say I'm going to go with Rob uh, with the Packers at 12 and five. 
And yourself, of course. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. Well, Adam, yeah, thanks for the time. Without saying. <laughs> thanks so much, Adam. Yeah, Appreciate I'll, it, I'll, Adam. I'll get you guys my address when the show is uh, over. And you can, Perfect. Uh, Perfect. So you know where to send my gift. <laughs> Be well, my friend. <laughs> See ya. Uh, yeah, that, I wasn't here for Brooke's prediction, and she's probably lucky I would have guffawed loudly. Uh, it's Spade and Fitz, Sarah Spade and Jason Fitz. Coming up, it is an exciting night out in Tokyo. We'll give a shout-out to some of our favorites on this Spain and Fitz show. We also have a very unique story about an NBA player taking a new path, a cart path, if you will. It's going up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to hit us up at the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. We're asking you to name our fantasy league to earn a spot. This is how we did it last year. Worked out quite nicely. So send us in suggestions. They could have to do with the show. One of us, both of us, could have nothing to do with it. For instance, two girlies, one cup is someone's suggestion. I think the clubhouse leader right now is no take backs, referring to the Raiders trying to call up the Bears and get back Khalil Mack. Should it be no take max, not no take no backs? No take max. Mm. Mm, look eh, at you eh. elevating the conversation. I like that. I like eh. that. I'm like cilantro. You don't so, know you need me till you need me. That's true. You're also already in the league, so oh, okay. I'm not sure if you can be selected. <laughs> but I appreciate the effort. Uh, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. We'll Somebody probably... tweet us real quick. No take max. It's your <laughs> no opportunity. Take max, no take max. Uh, you'll, uh, you'll have the opportunity to be the last member of our fantasy league, and we'll probably announce it Thursday. Fitz is out tomorrow, so Thursday will probably be the day. By the way, don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast, hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their constant and constant, I can read, and continued support of women sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. That's What She Said podcast. This week's guest is Mallory Wegman, who's an incredible Paralympic swimmer. She's set 15 world records and something like 34 American records. Um, An incredible story. She was actually uh, paralyzed by an epidural shot in her teens for treatment for back pain that she suffered from getting shingles. And it's a remarkable story of coming to terms with still having so many unanswered questions about what went wrong that day. Uh, what it was like to adjust to life as a paraplegic, finding her way back to the pool and competition and how the Paralympics has really changed her life and allowed her to be an athlete again. It's a really great lesson. I highly recommend it. And it is timed, Jason Fitz, to the start of the Tokyo Paralympics, which is tonight. Opening Woo! ceremonies are happening right now. You can actually watch Team USA. They, uh, within the last couple minutes, made their entrance. And we have a lot of friends of the show, mostly ESPNW, and that's what she said, a little bit less uh, Spain and Fitz, but we've done some nod to the pods. People have heard the conversations I've had with uh, Tatiana McFadden, who I think I remember telling you, Fitz, she did something like she set the world record in wheelchair marathon for four different marathons in the same year. No one's ever done that, and she's done it three times, three oh, different years. My God. She's unbelievable. Melissa Stockwell, who was the first woman to lose a limb in the war in Afghanistan, who has since gone on to be an Iron Woman and is now a two-time Paralympian in the triathlon. Jessica Long, incredible Paralympic swimmer that we've had at the SBNW Summit. And as I mentioned, Mallory Wegman, there's so many great stories. There's so many great athletes, inspiration, 
an incredible, incredible fight to be witnessed out in the Tokyo Paralympics. A lot of people sort of shut it down after the Olympics are over. Let's give these incredible athletes the attention and respect and time that they deserve. Go out and watch some of those events. It's going to be pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, but I mean, that's everything you just said is such a crazy reminder. And I think what happens a lot of times with the Paralympics is that after everybody has Olympic burnout, you just forget it's going on. So, uh, you know, this is an incredible moment to plug back into that and see some people that are doing electric things. And I think one of the most amazing things about watching the Olympics in general is seeing the dreams come true. The Paralympics, it it hits even harder. So it's one of my favorite things to watch. And I think one of the things that those athletes have kind of mirrored in saying every time I've had them on is that they want to use the platform of the Paralympics and their success to advance disability rights in our country and worldwide. And when you hear the personal stories and you attach a name and a face and a story to some of the struggles that they have to go through because we just have not yet fully embraced um, opportunity and rights and 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 the kind of accessibility that we should in our country for for people with disabilities, you're reminded of it, especially when you hear from their own. You know, Tatiana McFan is an incredible story. She had spina bifida growing up. She grew up in a Russian orphanage, and if she'd been somewhere else, she could have had been treated. And instead, she walked on her hands for the first five years of her life. And her mom was an American woman who went over, met her, and said, that's that's my daughter. I don't care the fight that I'm going to have to go through to bring her back and the difficulties you may have. And she ends up being this incredible athlete and such a great advocate for disability rights. So um, the stories are ones that you need to hear, and their efforts uh, deserve the time to watch. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We got an after party tonight, Fitz, and honestly, we've been slacking. I'm not going to lie. We, we promised a lot of pre-parties and after parties. We've been so busy. You've been cheating on me with every other show. I've had other jobs that I'm actually assigned to do, and we've, we've <laughs> left the after parties out. But tonight, we do, and it was right up your alley because we had a musician on. Jordan McGraw, who's currently touring with the Jonas Brothers, joined us. Here's a little bit of what it sounded like. You can hear the full interview in the after party. Here's this week's... Not to the pop. The pop. All right. So one thing I think is curious uh, for for me, Jordan. I lived ten plus years of my life on tour buses and country music, and there are a lot of country music fans that are Cowboys fans. Have you been able to like find fandom as a connector for other famous musicians at this point? Um, I mean, I'm on tour with the Jonas Brothers right now, and they hate the Cowboys. So I mean. <laughs> That's as as good as liking the Cowboys, in my opinion. I actually have more to talk about because they hate them. Do they have a team they they root for so you can trash talk this season? Yeah, it's the Giants. You can always trash talk the Giants. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. I love everything about that, by the way. Like, just to have the headliner and the opener have rival teams, like, that is such a great experience because they're on tour together throughout the duration of the fall. So they'll be in all these huge markets sitting around on Sundays on tour buses just absolutely going nuts at each other. And when it's Giants and Cowboys, when there's already the rivalry in there, that, that's going to spill out on stage. So I'm, I'm be interested to see what happens. I'm sure social media will find it uh, during the games uh, as they'll, I'm sure, have some sort of wager that's placed uh, during show days. Yeah, uh, Fitz also uh, was held to task for wearing socks into the bathroom, and there was an impression of Mickey Mouse saying, sex! So listen to it. It's a good interview. It's a lot of fun. You're not wrong. It's the after party for Spain and Fitz. Hey, quick, did you see the story about J.R. Smith that we had teased a little bit and now has officially gotten approval? J.R. Smith is going to play college golf for North Carolina A&T. 
And I actually kind of love it. He talked about how he's really excited to play for an HBCU. And he said, it was probably one of the most exciting feelings I've had in a while. I really didn't know how I was going to go. But to be able to actually call myself a student athlete is a great feeling. And you think about it, Fitz, we talk a lot about the benefits sometimes of collegiate athletes at the highest level and those scholarship sports that are making people tons of money. They, you know, go on to pursue these big million-dollar careers. But then you never get to really, truly be a student athlete. So the idea that he's excited about pursuing a degree in liberal studies, taking classes, and competing as a student athlete is so wholesome. I love the thought of going back. I'm going to go back now and uh, like try and be a college putt putt athlete. Maybe that's okay. my my shot. I don't think that Mini golf, like with the windmills uh, and everything. Also, you had your chance and oh, just didn't right. qualify. Whereas he was going to play for UNC, but decided to go straight to the NBA. So slightly Tiger. different. Slightly different. By the way, Jarrah Smith's going to be on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Also, Jay-Z and Kendrick Lamar. Great show. Stay around. Hey, it's Sarah Spain. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Coming up, we have a very special after-party podcast talking to musician Jordan McGraw. Hey, hey, hey. All right, all right, all right. Hey, hey, hey. All right, all right, all right. shotgun in his Lincoln. I want to know everything he's thinking. The artist, Jordan McGraw. Jordan, joining us now. Jordan, hey, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, no, thanks for having me. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've got the note here that you're a Dodgers and a Cowboys fan. And we'll get to all the music stuff in a second, but we got to start with this. <laughs> How can you possibly be a fan of a team in L.A. and in Dallas at the same time? I'm very confused. <laughs> oh, I grew up in Dallas. So if I don't rep the Cowboys, I'll be shot on sight. <laughs> and uh, I've spent, I've, I've been in LA since I was 15. So the Dodgers are the, the logical choice. Fitz, I've got the answer for you. It's called bandwagoning. It's very uh-huh. common. I don't know if you've ever no, heard no, about no, it. No, 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 we're not going there. Look at that. See? Also, they to were, be fair, the Cowboys have not been good teams... enough for a long time to be considered bandwagoning. Right, right, right. That's fact. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and neither were the Dodgers. That's very fair. I lived in L.A. for six years after college, and I really tried to get to like the teams there because it felt like I might be there for a while. And I found it really difficult. So is it just a matter of you never really attached to the baseball teams in Texas? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked the Rangers. I You know, Nolan Ryan was awesome. Um, Pudge Rodriguez was, you know, my favorite, my favorite player when I was a kid. But, um, yeah, I never really just – I never got totally hitched onto him. And uh, I just started going to Dodger games here. And it's like, what better baseball weather than, you know, always perfect. So I think that kind of won me over. And then, uh, you know, because I started going, they started winning. We're talking to Jordan oh, McGraw on okay. Spain and Fitz. I, oh, yeah, I mean, that's credit for it. I, I, I don't blame him at all. Like, it I, could I mean, be that payroll that's sixty-five million more than even the Yankees. But let's go with you. <laughs> we'll go with it. It's called investing I mean, in, in your team. I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Uh, so you know, I one, hate the Lakers if that matters. Oh, it does. It helps. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I tried okay, to like perfect, the Lakers, perfect. and then I just found myself rooting for whoever they were playing against, and I was like, well, this isn't working. <laughs> All right, so one thing I think is curious for for me, Jordan, I lived 10-plus years of my life on tour buses and country music, and there are a lot of country music fans that are Cowboys fans. Have you been able to, like, find fandom as a connector for other famous musicians at this point? Um, I mean, I'm on tour with the Jonas Brothers right now, and they hate the Cowboys. So, (laughs) I mean, that's that's as good as liking the Cowboys, in my opinion. I actually have more to talk about because they hate them. Do they have a team they, they root for so you can trash talk this season? 
Yeah, it's the Giants. Oh, yeah. You can always trash talk the Giants. Absolutely. <laughs> so much losing altogether between the both oh, of you. Oh, my that God. Must oh, be my. Fun. Uh, uh, this is coming from a Bears fan. I, yeah, I got no leg to stand on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Jordan, let's talk about the Jonas Brothers and how would you qualify your music? Do you, is there a genre that you want to be associated with or do you try to sort of toe the line amongst many? I, I just say pop rock. You know, it's, I'm not out there like, oh, you know, like summoning demons on stage, but I'm also not just doing, you know, bubblegum stuff. So um, I put a guitar on and call it pop punk. I, that, I mean, that's a heck of a description. So for you, is there a city when you, <laughs> you're talking about touring with the Jonas Brothers, is there a city you look at on the gambit that you're saying, man, I'm most excited to play that one? Uh, I think it changes every every time around, depending on uh, where we get to play. This time we get to do Fenway Park, which, uh, I mean, how is that not the coolest thing in the world? Yeah, pretty cool. Almost as cool as Wrigley Field, but not quite. Uh, I know, not quite, not quite. Not quite, but very cool. Um, I And forgive me for not knowing if you are a teen heartthrob already, but if you are not a teen heartthrob already... <laughs> Do you feel like because of this tour with the Jonas Brothers, you want to bring a little extra, you know, little little extra sass to your performances? Are you are you understanding? I saw the Jonas Brothers um, at Saturday Night Live, and the parts of the audience that had very clearly uh, arrived solely for the sake of screaming in the highest pitch possible uh, were were very uh, very clear to find there. And I wonder if you feel like you need to kind of lean into that for this tour. I. Uh... I, ha I had to buy like special earplugs for the last tour <laughs> because of the high pitched scream. Like it, it, it is unreal <laughs> what happens when they walk on stage. Um, but no, I, I just kind of do me. I drop way too many F bombs for their crowd sometimes, but um, the look of horror on the parents' face is, is um, worth more than not saying it. So uh, no, I mean, their, their fans are cool. They're, they're kind of the age range is, is so broad with them because their new fans are pretty young and their old fans are all our age anyway. So um, it, it's fun. Every once in a while, I'll like take my jacket off and they scream. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just taking my jacket off. Like, just warm. I'm just hot. I'm just very warm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sarah screams yeah. in horror anytime I take my jacket off. So that's, they're, 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 that's, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> Maybe had, that's what's happening. Yeah. Well, <laughs> have you had a, a moment yet for you, you know, because this, the rise is such a, a cool part of the, the journey for every musician, right? And you're playing big amphitheaters, which I think are sort of underrated on the tour circuit. Have you had a moment yet, yeah. like one show that stands out that you can think about where you stood on stage and looked around and that, that was one that you're like, man, I'm making it? Um, I know which one it's going to be, and it's going to be uh, in Dallas. I'm going to where I saw my first two concerts. So it's like the same place exactly so that that one for me is going to be kind of like a big whoa yeah i bet um i i'm i'm curious because fitz mentioned that he's a, a longtime music guy spent a lot of time on tour he shared something with me when we first became radio partners and i i still cringe whenever i hear it. and i want to ask your take on this he um <laughs> all over the tour bus uh the stadiums the hotels any facilities that he was in he would go to the bathroom with just socks on, uh, the restroom, that is. Uh, presumably a, big a, wet, a wet floor would be felt through the socks. Is that kosher on your end, or do you think he's pretty disgusting? 
Um, that that's not pretty disgusting. There, there's no amount of money in the entire music business that could convince me to walk into any bathroom on tour in my socks. Wait, that wait, is, thank you. Wait, 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 wait. wait but you're, you're you. telling me, you're telling me that like three in the morning, you roll out of your bunk. All right. And, and for anyone that doesn't know, like the, the way a tour bus is designed, you got the front lounge, the bunks, and then the back lounge. You roll out of your bunk. It's like three in the morning. You got a tinkle. You're going up to the front. I'm not going to find shoes at that point. I'm just going to walk into the bathroom on a tour bus. And we all know that guys don't okay, have great well, aim. So, like, once I've done that, everything else is just sort of part of the And then you get course. back into bed. Oh, yeah. With the, with the yeah, socks that's the problem. Is then you're, you're taking your bass player's pee into your bunk. Oh. I mean, why don't you just throw some slides at the foot of the bed? Then you jump right off. Slide your feet in, you're good. Right. I mean that. that yeah, it's that, not like you got to get up and go to a closet. It, they're right there. You know, but I, I was a, I was a big fan of a couple of things. Keeping my bunk very, very, very empty because they they do get a little claustrophobic, and also making my. Are you a bunk bed maker every day? Because I would I'm, make your bed after you brought a bunch of yeah, urine. Yeah, into yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Of course, Sarah. Mm-hmm. I'm not a. Tuck it in. Tuck in. You got to make sure the pee's tucked in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that's going to get cut and used on this show a lot. I, I yeah. don't even feel <laughs> I don't even feel good about that. Okay, so the new single is she. What was the uh, What was the inspiration for you on that one? Uh, that was a that was a real life inspiration. I was um, my now wife and I were um, quarantining in in uh, Malibu during the beginning of this whole thing, and uh, so we were like really isolated, really locked down. And uh, I woke up one morning and she was just sitting there glaring at me, and I'm like, what 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 did I do? And uh, she's like, it's nothing you did. It's what you did in my dreams. And I was like, Are you what? The- what? Oh yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think she's still mad at me about it. I don't know what I did, but uh, she won't tell me. Um, I guess in case it's motivation to do it in real life. But um, yeah, so I, I I wrote a song about that because if I'm being honest, I've also done the same thing. So yeah, it's uh, it's an unfortunate thing when you wake up and you have to talk yourself out of the uh, anger that you have about the dream. You have another song called the Her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sensing a theme here. Uh, that is like those two songs were written, um, like a year apart. So it was like, it was not like a really cheeky design. They were just the first two that seemed like they should come out back to back. And, um, but yeah, her is, uh, not about fighting. It's more about the other end of things. So, um, Oh, oh! Jonas I believe they call it that. sex. Oh, yeah, well. They call it sex. We, hey, we work for Disney here. This is Mickey Mouse. Yeah. That you know, it, it's it's hand holding. It's just he, you're not allowed to have sex with your wife. Up, okay? talking about, well, actually, you know, now now things are really getting convoluted. We're cutting that out and using that too, also in the show. Oh, uh, I guess they call it sex. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. So, uh, before we let you get out of here, obviously, uh, we will finish with a sports concept uh, question here. At least, when you are playing shows, do you have plans for? or have you found a routine for how you keep updated on the game if it's going on? Do you watch it? Do, do you record it on the bus? Do you have somebody give you scores? Like, what are you doing if, if the Dodgers or the Cowboys are playing while you're on stage? Uh, if it's while I'm on stage, uh, my front of house dude loves the Dodgers, so he talks to me in my ears and tells me scores, and my <laughs> guitar tech is a huge Cowboys fan, so he just writes it on a dry erase board and holds up the scores. I will just so give I, you, I stay up to date. Uh, just a you know, word of advice that my, my Chris Young's buddy of mine, the country artist, 
And he used to do that all the time until he got a score he didn't like and accidentally dropped an F-bomb <laughs> in the middle of a song. So, uh-huh. you know, you just you got to be careful with these things. I'm just saying, Jordan, <laughs> good luck on tour, man. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us. Follow him on Twitter, at Jordan McGraw. Check out uh, Jordan on tour with the Jonas Brothers. All fall going to be an epic tour, epic fall. Uh, enjoy the process, man. You guys are playing some great cities. Going to be a blast to see you out there. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.